Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. We've got to wrap up spring practices, talk some CU football recruiting, and we'll even work in a little men's basketball talk. Tyler, I think uh, I think you know where we need to lead this show off, right? Uh, yeah. Um, based on the boards, everybody's trying to talk about Davis Webb, so I think we'll probably spend a good portion of today discussing that whole situation. Yeah, I actually like to throw it out to the fans on Twitter and the Buff Stampede Elite Message Board and say, hey, what do you want us to talk about on the podcast? Do kind of a mailbag. I knew if I did that for this show, 90% of the questions would be about Davis Webb, and obviously we're going to talk about that anyway. So let's dive into that Davis Webb talk. He has not really been up for doing interviews with a lot of media, has not talked with myself or Brian Howell or any of the uh, Colorado beat writers here recently. Even the Cal guys haven't been able to get him on the phone, but he just kind of randomly does an interview with, with 24-7. Good for them for, for getting him on the phone. And so some interesting quotes here, Tyler, that I'm going to read, and I want you to kind of react as our fan correspondent in kind of what your gut is telling you based off these quotes. Davis Webb told 24-7, I'm still committed to Colorado. I love them, but I only get one shot at this thing. I'm not like most grad transfers who get two years. I have six months of college football, and I want to make sure it's the spot for me. That's why I took another visit. I'm trying to make sure it's the perfect fit. In the situation I'm in, I had the displeasure of not being able to play much the last year after playing a pretty good amount the first two years. So you could basically say last year was a waste of my eligibility because I didn't get to redshirt. So I have six months to play the best game in the world. I want to make sure it's where it's where I'm supposed to be. He declined comment on a potential visit to Auburn. React. Um, I guess I'd say the first thing that pops up into my head is I don't know what grad transfer gets two years, so that was kind of an interesting comment. For Jordan me. Jordan Webb? I mean, I guess if you redshirt, but it's, yeah, I mean, most, would you say most get two years? I mean, most are senior, have one year of eligibility left. And yeah, usually that's, season. it's a one-year deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to me, I completely understand the whole argument that he has one year and that he wants to do the best thing for him. That's completely fair especially for someone who's a borderline NFL draft prospect you want to make sure you put yourself in the right position to be seen by scouts all that kind of stuff my problem with the situation is just how he handled it really I mean the whole entire time all he was talking about is he couldn't wait to come here he's recruiting other guys 
if he had just been upfront with the fact that he wanted to look around throughout the entire process, that probably would have been better served in terms of how the fans reacted to realizing that he was taking other visits. A lot of people probably didn't even realize that he wasn't committed to us and that he hadn't signed papers that obligated him to us. So I think that was part of the outrage as well, is that people just weren't 100%. They didn't understand that he was able to go other places. So there was a lot of shock value um, in regards to that. But, I mean, all in all, he, he, he does deserve to do what's best for him. I understand he's in a tough position. Um, I just wish he would have been more upfront with that in the beginning because I mean we really did stop recruiting everybody else in order because we had because we were told that he was coming so that those are I guess my my initial thoughts yeah yeah to your point if Davis Webb says Colorado I'm really interested in you guys but I want to take these other visits Colorado's still going to be looking around for other quarterbacks over the course of these last three months since he's been committed um, I think it was what late January when he actually verbally committed He's out there recruiting a guy like Jawan Winfrey to CU. I think the second you start recruiting for Colorado, you've lost that that opportunity to look around. You've committed to a program more so than just yourself. You're committing, trying to get other people to commit as well. Um, so I think that was one of my big issues with it. So, yeah, it's if you want to look around, the time to do that was in January, February, before you, know, you actually made that verbal commitment to Colorado. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... It's kind of put us in a tough spot in terms, you know, not we're not in a hurry to replace him, I guess you could say, because there's not there's just no one out there at this point. Um, you know, you're into the summer. There's not a whole lot of football going on right now. But um, I mean, at the same time, he's the best available option to you. So you, you and we've got to stick it out. I mean, you can't just tell him to go kick rocks because he could make an important impact on our program and there's there, I mean, there's no other alternatives out there I guess you could say so to me you just kind of have to wait it out and see where he ends up so he comes out to Boulder spends a week during his spring break checking out the Buffaloes if he had concerns about Colorado's offensive line those concerns should have been based off last season in the results versus what you could have seen during a spring scrimmage given that Jeremy Irwin your best offensive lineman's hurt uh, Alex Kelly left that scrimmage that he attended early to go to class. Jonathan Huckins was banged up at that point during spring ball. So probably your two best offense linemen, at least from an experience standpoint, and then one of your top six or seven offense linemen aren't out there. Um, I would I would imagine that was conveyed to him, hey, this isn't the offensive line you're going to be playing behind. Yeah, you would. I mean, especially if that's what he told the staff was the issue, uh, you would think that they would be able to piece that together and make them realize that, our best linemen's out, and they're you know they're just being cautious like they always do in the spring with who's playing. You know they don't want to get these important guys hurt. So I guess we'll just see what happens. I don't have the greatest feel on it right now. I think Cepho looking healthier than we expected at the spring game kind of relieved some of my stress behind it because I w- I really wasn't very confident that he'd be ready to start the year. And, I'm not sure that he will be still, but it, the the odds are definitely improved for me based on how he looked at the spring game. So, you know, obviously we all have our issues with Cepho and Davis, I think, when it started over him. But it's at least good to know that somebody with experience may be healthy to start the year. That way you don't have, just have to throw Montez into the fire. Mike McIntyre spent some time out in Lubbock last week. Uh, spent, I believe, the better part of two days with Davis Webb trying to kind of get that Locked down that commitment. Now, Mike McIntyre did an interview earlier this week and talked about how Davis is still telling him that he, he's coming to Colorado. But you would have, 
I think the hope would be if Mike McIntyre spends nearly two days with Davis Webb that he makes the public announcement that he's not looking around anymore, which with that 24-7 interview, he didn't do. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of concern out there still that he <laughs> is going to be switching over. I mean, who knows if he's going to go visit Auburn. I think it's kind of weird that he was open about going to Cal and hasn't been with Auburn. I'm not sure what's really going on with that. But at this point, it's pretty clear he's looking around, so I'm less than confident that he'll end up here. But obviously, I hope that he reaffirms. Um, it, I, I do think it's kind of strange that he's we're a couple of weeks removed from his visit now, so... You would think if he was going to switch over, he would have done it already. But we're all just kind of in la-la land trying to figure out what he's going to do here. In, in terms of the importance of Webb's decision, whether he's going to come to Colorado or not, I thought it was interesting on the Stampede Elite message board, there was a poll started by R. Ward. Uh, this was a poll last weekend. And he basically asked CU fans, hey, what what's the, the difference if Webb doesn't come to Boulder? What what are the negative? What's the negative impact on that? The the vote that got twice as many votes as any other option at fifty percent was the fans thought the Buffs are going to win two less games if Davis Webb does not make his way to Boulder in twenty sixteen. Twenty seven percent of the fans said one last win in in twenty sixteen, and nineteen percent said the win total will not be different. So, basically, the the vast majority of Colorado fans understand. Hey. This Davis Webb story is a big deal. There, there's a lot of stories in, in this job. I feel like I've got to like talk CU fans off the ledge. But then there have been a few over the years, like when Paul Richardson tore his ACL during camp, and it was like, no, CU fans, you need to really overreact because this is a huge deal. Spencer Dinwiddie goes down with a torn ACL at Washington. It's like, no, this is going to be disastrous for the team. That's the way I kind of feel about this Davis Webb situation. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. Um, it really will depend on Sefo a little bit. I think Montez will be thrown into the fire. and It'd be tough to see us going to a bowl game if Montez started. I'll say that for sure. But if Sefo comes back, I still think that opportunity is there. I agree that we'll probably lose a few more games without Davis. Um, one one would probably be would have been my answer had I voted on the poll. Two is possible for sure, but that's just a big-time difference. I mean... There's only 12 games, so I mean. Well, let me let me let, let me ask you this: you th- you you're saying if if I put a gun to your head, you'd say that the Davis Webb situation could affect this te- will affect this team by one game. Yeah. What if that's the difference between six wins and five wins? Is yeah. that not disastrous, in, given the where this program is right now? Oh yeah, I mean it, that's obviously a big deal, but I mean I still think we'll have our opportunities to get there. It's, if that's how it plays out, yes, obviously it's a big impact. Again, it'll be hard to say, oh, well, Davis would have won this game for us. We've never actually seen him throw a football. You know what I mean? So who really knows? But, um, yeah, I mean, it, there's a, there's definitely the potential for it to be a disastrous and huge impact. But I also think that there's potential for it to not be as big of a deal as we're thinking initially. It, so. and, and you've alluded to this. Clearly, what, what it would come down to at that point if Davis Webb doesn't come to Colorado, it, it all hinges on Sefo Lufau's health. Yeah. I think everything, everybody from the coaches to the fans to, to the reporters are all in agreement that Steven Montez is one year away, that he has a really bright future. But, you know, especially early in the spring game, you could just see a little bit of the nervousness. He just got to kind of work through that for mm-hmm. another year. Yeah, he's a retro freshman. So, I mean, this is the first time he's really played with anybody that's going to be on the field for the Boston. I mean, last year he spent most of his time throwing to walk-ons. It's tough to really develop in that scenario. So he's only had a couple months to really get himself together. So it's not surprising. Uh, you shouldn't be concerned that he's not 100% ready right now. I think that's what we should have expected. Um, 
yeah, you could see him kind of overthinking a little bit while he was out there, and all that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's got to get comfortable with the people that he's throwing the ball to. He's got to get comfortable with the offense, uh, reading defenses, all that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot of stuff being thrown at him right now after being on scout team last year for the whole entire year. So I, he'll come around. It's not like I think he's a bust now or anything like that. I just think it'd be nice if we had somebody with some experience out there in a year where the staff is arguably fighting for their jobs. And it's been a long time since we've been to a bowl, and we have that opportunity this year. We're going to talk more about the quarterback position, but before we do, let's briefly recap the spring game that, that took place on April 9th. Uh, Tyler, you were there in the stands. What did you learn, if anything, during that, that spring game? Yeah. And, uh, Easy to overanalyze the spring game without It question. is, for sure. And I don't, I don't know if this is a McIntyre thing, but it seems like the spring game has really lost a lot of pop, I guess you could say, over the years at Colorado. Like, they just... They run it as more of like a practice these days, which is fine. I mean, he can do it however what makes the most sense for him. I do think it hurts the fan experience a little bit. Well, this year there just, wasn't much of a choice given their, their yeah. inside linebacker situation. Right, but, it, you know, it's just one of those things that the fans come. I know I was talking to you about this offline, about how much of an itch for football I had, and I went to go watch this game, and I was like, that just really <laughs> did nothing for me. Like, I still need actual football to come back. You know, I mean, you just don't learn enough. And I understand that because you don't want to give away all your stuff. Like, there's there's reasons behind it. I yeah. get that. But it's, it's just so vanilla. You know what I mean? Like, you're, there, you obviously can't tackle the quarterback. Um, so that has an impact as well. But it's, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, it's nice to see the guys out there. And you, you see some flashes from people. Um, and we'll talk about that. But by and large, you're not learning a whole lot about the football team. Yeah, it's certainly if you left Folsom Field feeling like you had seen anything substantial, then you, you I think you did overanalyze things. But I think there were a few things that we kind of thought that were confirmed in the spring game. One of them, obviously, that the running back depth is really solid yeah. on, on this team. Steven Montez needing a, another year to develop. We That kind of confirmed our, our thoughts about that. And the thing that hasn't really been talked a lot about from the spring game that really stood out to me was this secondary has a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Um, I think part of that is Montez just not being fully confident yet, but the secondary is good. I mean, they got four athletes back there. They got four guys with good size. Isaiah Oliver, man, is a stud. You just, I felt bad for KB and Ento because he was on him like a blanket the yeah, entire and, day. And honestly, like despite that, I was actually really impressed with Ento. Like I think he I, he was better right away. Like One of the first people I noticed in drills is a guy who's just very smooth. Love how he runs his routes. Doesn't have any wasted movements. So he was impressive to me. But Oliver is nasty. Like, he, he's going to be so good. I'm so excited. I mean, we have him for at least two more years, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Akella Wilsburn was out of the scrimmage with injury. I don't think it matters all that much, to be honest. I think he's going to get passed this year by Oliver. Um, you can tell the staff loves him. They're, they're working Oliver hard during the scrimmage and during the drills and stuff. They, they know that they have something special in him. And you put him opposite of Cheeto. I mean, I honestly think that could be one of the best cornerback combinations in the conference for sure. Well, you know, they, they list the base defense as uh, a 3-4. But honestly, the way now football, college football is nowadays, you're basically running a, a base nickel package. And if that's the case, basically Akella Witherspoon still is kind of a starter. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, there's no question that Isaiah Oliver is the second best cornerback talent on the roster now. Um, your, your mind kind of goes crazy thinking about how good he actually can be if he keeps improving over the course of the next three years. Yeah, he's going to be 
He's going to be really good. I'm excited about him. Offensively, I thought um, we talk a lot about Devin Ross on this. He always seems to do some stuff in the spring, but he always struggles a little bit catching the ball with a helmet on. I mean, that's what you saw that, and we've seen that in practice in years before in games, obviously, too. Um, I actually thought he looked really comfortable in the spring game, which was good to see. Um, catching the ball away from his body. Didn't even fumble anything in drills. Caught everything sure. So that was a good sign for me because, you know, especially with the drills in there, he there was probably 40 or 50 balls thrown his way. And he did a good job with all of them and looked like he had a pretty nice rapport with Steven Montez, actually, in, in the actual spring game as well. So that, that was a positive development for me. We'll see how it translates. Obviously, he's had a lot of trouble with the drops. But he, he did look good. So that was a good good positive step for him. I think the CSU game is going to be huge for him and his confidence. But, I mean, if he can at least become reliable, that's a big first step. I mean, he's not going to be Nelson Spruce. Yeah, I, I think we know that. But, I mean, if he can be a guy that – the ball last – there were times last year where the ball was thrown in his direction. You're like, yeah, that's not going to be caught at all. <laughs> and if you can at least have confidence that he can bring down a few here and there, I, I that you know, that's a solid number two or number three guy. So we'll, we'll see if he can at least improve it. To up to that level and he's playing the, the slot now it's very important in this offense not to have drops with those short to intermediate throws because when you're playing up tempo all the time you can't go three and out consistently or your right. defense is going to get absolutely yeah. exhausted um, so that's going to be even more it's obviously always important for receivers to catch the ball but now that he's in that slot role it's it's very very important let's go position by position and we'll kind of do a little bit of a depth chart prediction we'll compare it maybe our thoughts Compared to the pencil depth chart that was released, and it's a little scary looking because of some of the injured guys, the fact that freshmen aren't on campus yet. The depth does not look very good on this pencil depth chart. But uh, at quarterback, if Davis Webb does indeed stick with his commitment to Colorado, you're looking at five scholarship quarterbacks, three of which are going to be seniors. Of course, Sefo Lufau does have that red shirt in his back pocket still. I mean, clearly the expectation is if Davis Webb comes here, he starts. If not, Cephal Lufau, I don't know, with a Liz Frank, how much you can do, but as much treatment as they can possibly do on that thing, they're going to, to try to make sure that he's healthy. Jordan Gerke, we haven't talked about, had a good spring game. He's had moments in practice in the past. Um, I will say, I think this offense suits his strengths a little bit. He does get the ball out pretty fast. He's mm -hmm. some, somewhat accurate with some of the shorter throws. But if Jordan Gerke is your starting quarterback this season, then it's going to be tough to get to a bowl game. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I, I feel like he's improved to the point that I am comfortable with him as a backup option. Um, I feel bad for him because his only game scenario really has been against Oregon, and that's just not fair for the most part. Well, he had the Utah game yeah. last year where he had a chance, actually had a chance to put together a winning drive. Yeah, the, yeah, but that's you know that's one you know at the very end of the game. It's tough to get a rhythm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then they obviously had Jaleel in there with him as well. So um, yeah. It, I would like to see, I don't want to see this, but if he had gotten maybe three or four games in a row last year, it would have been interesting to see how he developed. Because that's when you get a true idea of how comfortable someone is on the field. It's tough to get in in the middle of a game and make an impact. So, But, I mean, he's a guy that I agree with you, you don't want starting for this team. But, you know, in, in a pinch, there are worse backups in the world than Jordan Gierke, in my opinion. Given the scenario, I would even maybe feel comfortable with Jordan Gierke over... Steven Montez, if it's just for a couple drives here in a game, it kind of have. I would think that he would be a little bit more calm out there under under pressure, at least in in a small sample size. But if you had to go with one of those two guys for an extended period of time, you're obviously going to go with Montez and let him kind of get through some of those growing pains. Yeah, definitely. I think the one thing that Montez, I mean, Greg is a good athlete too, but 
the wrinkle that we threw in last year with Zepho doing a lot of those quarterback draws, quarterback rounds. I think Steven Montez could really be lethal in those type of packages, especially on the goal line, because he is more athletic than Zepho and similar in size. So we were pretty successful with Zepho last year. I'd like to have seen what we could do with Montez in a game situation like that as well. I think that would be uh, a difficult thing to stop around the goal line and in the red zone if we had Montez out there. Sam Neuer coming in from Oregon in June. We've talked about this in the past. We don't have a strong feeling for him one way or the other coming out here. He didn't play against great competition in high school. Didn't come out to a CU camp, so we didn't get a chance to see him with our own eyes. There's some things to, to me intrigued with on his film, though, without without question. And they did kind of run a similar offense to what CU runs uh, when he was at Beaverton High School. Yeah, they've definitely done a good job of finding guys <coughs> who are comfortable in the offensive schemes that they want to implement. Um, in recruiting, so that's obviously a positive first step. Uh, I don't expect him to play this year. If he plays this year, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong. So, but he's always somebody that you want to be able to compete in the future. So, um, it'll be interesting to see him in fall camp. See what our thoughts are on him when we actually get to see him for the first time live. Yeah, I mentioned the fact that the three of the five scholarship quarterbacks for for 2016, if Davis Webb does indeed come, are going to be seniors. So. All of a sudden, a year from now, we're having a conversation about the quarterback position. Sam Neuer is going to be a big part of that. Obviously, Steve Montez as well, because them and then whoever comes in, you know, with this 2017 recruiting class, those are going to be your quarterbacks next year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving along to running back, six scholarship guys here. We heard uh, the coaches say that Philip Lindsay, Donovan Lee, and Patrick Carr were the most consistent throughout spring practices, but then. Mike Ladkins, as Mike Ladkins often does when it's it's time to perform in front of fans, he does really well, had a good spring game. Uh, I think it was, what, three really impressive runs in, in that scrimmage in a, with very few carries. Dino Gordon, Darian Higgins talked about how that's his pet project. Very raw player. He's not going to be in the rotation, I don't think, this year, but kind of like Steven Montez, another year in the system, another year of development. Uh, he's going to be a player. And then Bo Bicharat coming in was at the spring game. He's all of the 6'2", 210 that he's listed at, going to be their big back this upcoming year. Darian Hagen said they're going to use some two-back sets, and one of those, and he's going to want one of them to be a bigger back. So Bo Bisher will have a role as well. This is maybe, uh, aside from secondary, one of the more impressive groups. Oh, definitely. I mean, you no matter who's in there during the spring game, with somebody that you felt confident could get carries, get you positive yards. Yeah, I mean, my, Michael Atkins, it's so funny. Every time we try to give up on him, man, he, he reminds you of what he can look like when he's healthy. I mean, it's just, he's just got, he's a next-level guy. I mean, I think, really think he's the best when he's healthy, if he can stay healthy out there. I mean, you just see he's got great vision, and he does a good job of finding, maneuvering these little gaps. And then he fit, he always seems to find a way to finish with power, even though he doesn't look like he's a power back. So, yeah, it's, I was just, but the last touchdown he had, I was just laughing. I was like, man, this guy... Every time you just can't get rid of him because he just seems like oh he's he's not he's not in shape he hasn't been able to practice all spring the next thing you know he's run running the ball for thirty five yards on every single time he touches it so I was yeah. talking with uh, Ryan Konigsberg in the press box during the spring game about this he's I think the most aesthetically pleasing running back because he's so fluid getting in and out of his breaks it's like he really doesn't lose a whole lot of speed when he changes yeah. direction which I think it is what makes him kind of that next level guy uh, Philip Lindsay. Is is maybe your your best guy for consistent chunks of yards, but he's never going to break off a long run because he doesn't have that next level speed and he likes contact too much. Patrick Carr, 
you keep hearing all this positive stuff about him. I haven't quite seen it out of him on a consistent basis enough yet. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we talk, we hear all the time about his speed, but we haven't really seen that go into motion yet. I mean, he's clearly a quick guy, but not that next level speed that's really breakaway. And yeah, I don't think he's done a good job of finding holes in comparison to the other guys right now. So, I mean, he's he's comfortable out there, and I feel good with him as a second or third option for sure. But, yeah, he hasn't taken that next step into being the number one guy for sure. Donovan Lee might be the, the most underrated out of this group. Oh, uh, for sure. If people look at his his stature, his, his uh, lack of height, and think that he's not physical, but he's got really good lower body strength. Do you see him run through a lot of arm tackles? Yeah, he's definitely got a low center of gravity, which helps him for sure. Um, he does use his power well, especially finishing through piles. Um, to me, he's a guy that I hope gets a decent amount of touches, but I also hope they use him as a scat back as well. I'd like to see him get the ball out of the backfield maybe in some slop-tight roles um, in certain packages as well. He's a guy that I don't think is going to get more than maybe five or six carries a game, but I hope that they also throw in a few screens, that type of stuff to him as well, because he really is elusive in space, and he's fun to watch. I think he can help us a lot. Moving along to receiver, there are 12 scholarship guys expected to be on the roster for camp with Juwan Winfrey coming in. What, what are your thoughts on this group overall? I, I think it, it's going to be... You know, Shea Fields, Devin Ross, Juwan Winfrey, kind of the, the headliners there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think those are the three that you look at right away. Although I will say it's nice to have Bryce Bobo and Kami Neto in the four and five. I, I think the actual depth <laughs> is very impressive um, amongst the wide receivers. I don't know if we have a go-to guy necessarily, which isn't great. I mean, you want to have somebody that can take over a game for you. I mean, Shea's capable of that, but I'm curious to see if that was because he had a guy like Nelson next to him or not. It'll be interesting to see when Winfrey comes in if he's capable of being that number one guy. I know they definitely want him to fill that role. Um, but if, if someone can't step up into that, a guy who we think can have a 1,000 yards, I, I think it'll be a good group overall because there's a lot of mix. There's a good mixture of what these guys are capable of doing out there. Um, and if you, you go three or four wide, there's a chance that somebody's going to be in a solid mismatch scenario with the defense. So um, to me, to me, it's a good – There's a, it's a very deep group. I, I'm just curious to see if there's somebody that has – the capability to be a number, a true number one. Shea Fields is an elite route runner, really good hands, pretty darn good speed. If he's your number two going into the season, that means Jawan Winfrey showed up and balled out. And that's, you should want Shea Fields to be your number two receiver because it means Winfrey's that good. Um, I could see a scenario where it's kind of a 1A, 1B with Winfrey and Shea Fields. I'm not quite sure Shea Fields is your go-to number one guy in a, in a Pac-12 program, but we'll see. Um, and then Johnny Huntley, Anthony Meese, and Darian Rakestraw coming in at receiver. Uh, I would expect, depending on injuries, I would expect maybe one or two of those guys to kind of see a role. I think Johnny Huntley might be the most Pac-12 ready out of those guys, just given his size. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily the most Pac-12 ready. I just think he's the one guy that we don't have players that can do what he does right now. I mean, he's by far the biggest receiver we have on the team. Um, Justin Jan is a little bit in that role, too, and I think people expect him to maybe have a little bit of an impact this year. But Jumisi and Rekestra just kind of have similar traits to the guys that have experience, and we expect them to get a lot of minutes this year. I think uh, Huntley is a guy that we can use in the red zone, and there's a good chance that we'll be able to do that with him this year. So I just think he fills a more immediate need. There was a discussion on the Stampede Elite message board with Jay McIntyre, kind of uh, when his name comes up, you're going to draw a lot of opinions on both sides of it. I've just seen enough of him in practice. In, last year, he was a redshirt freshman, so I excused some of the missed blocks that he had. 
I still think this is going to be a really serviceable backup slot throughout the rest of his career. And uh, you get used to seeing number 14 out there a little bit. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think he's more than a capable enough guy. Um, actually, do, do you follow them on Snapchat? Sorry to get slightly off topic. I did see that yesterday. Yeah, so they, yeah. Had, they had him do a takeover, and it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. So if, if you – I think it will probably be gone by the time this actually comes out. But if you don't follow CU Bus Football, do that because they have players do a takeover for a day. And they're usually pretty funny, so uh, that's my recommendation. But, yeah, Jays was great. And uh, I, I would expect him to definitely make an impact. I mean, I think he'll be out there on special teams a lot too, so you can expect to see that out of him. Yeah, he's definitely the, one of the hardest working players on the team. He's one of the last guys off the practice fields. I, I kind of shared this last year that I, I joked with him. I said, Jay, you're, you're working too hard. And he says, I got to make a name for myself. Uh, Cheverini come in, and he's Cheverini's the guy that's going to be determining who which of these receivers are on the field. It's not Mike McIntyre's call. Cheverini told me that he thought Jay McIntyre was one of the guys standing out during camp, during spring ball. So, again, he's going to be out there. Lee Walker, we haven't talked a whole lot about him. Really good speed. He's actually had some good blocks out there at times. He had that, I'm forgetting what game it was last year, where he just completely cleared the way for Nelson Spruce touchdown. Yeah, was it the talk, UMass talk, game? No, no, it was early in the season. Oh, early? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think he definitely has made some impacts on the blocking side, which is useful, obviously. Um, and he's got great speed, so... He'll probably be out there situationally. Um, he's, you know, but he he's just a guy who's always kind of seemed to be just behind the pack a little bit. Jaleel Weenie comes into spring ball, splitting time between quarterback and receiver. At the very end of spring ball, the coach has kind of said that he's going to be a receiver going forward. I got to admit, a little part of me was sad to hear that because I, I thought a package with him as a quarterback in the red zone, utilizing his strengths as a running quarterback like we saw during that one drive in the Utah game would have been something that would be useful it's not to say that they can't still do that and if they were going to do that maybe they wouldn't want to advertise that he's that quarterback yeah definitely I think that's more more probably more likely what's going on than anything I think they're still trying to fade trying to find a way to use his athleticism he looked good in the spring game I thought I'm at receiver um kind of like Huntley again he's gonna be a bigger body um not quite as big as Huntley, but or I guess he's thicker, but not as tall is what is how I would describe that. I don't, he's not a guy who's going to get a whole lot of balls, in my opinion, probably. But they'll, they'll find ways to use him, and I think he'll be an impact. He'll definitely be on special teams, so you'll see him there. Well, I guess we should kind of do our depth chart predictions. I kind of made my prediction known earlier. I think it's going to be 1A, 1B scenario with Jawan Winfrey, Shea Fields, and then Devin Ross, probably your, your third third target uh, offensively this year. What are your expectations? Is there a sleeper in this group that you think is going to be better than maybe the, the random CU fan thinks today? Well, probably Ento. I mean, if you didn't go to the spring game and he was our lowest rated commit coming in, I think your expectation would be that that was kind of a wasted scholarship. There's, there was a lot of talk about that. He's better than that. I mean, he walked in the, on the campus. He's a, one of the four or five best receivers on the team already. So um, he'll play, which I think is more than a lot of people expected from him. So um, that's a good sign. I, I, I really actually liked him. Um, he popped to me right away. So I was definitely happy to see that. At tight end and fullback, you've got Sean Irwin. There's no debate there. He's their number one guy. And then George Frazier, kind of in that versatile role, will be on the field a whole bunch this season. You've got Chris Hill as a walk-on that's actually going to be a depth piece there. Dylan Keeney's listed as a tight end, but we've talked about this before. He's Basically a, a big receiver. And then uh, you've been high on Chris Bounds, who's coming off a red shirt. Yeah, I do like Bounds a lot. He looked good again in the spring game. Had a couple catches. I like his athleticism. I think he I think he, he reminds me a lot of Sean Irwin in, in, in a lot of ways. He's not going to be as good blocking, most likely, because Irwin's one of the best blockers in the country. But I think he could be a serviceable piece 
serviceable piece as a starter down the line for sure. So Bounds is a guy like uh, George Frazier, obviously, is someone that we need to get the ball to a lot more. Um, two years ago, he was really great for the offense. Last year, they didn't use him a whole lot. I think they need to get back uh, finding ways to use him, especially in the red zone. He's awesome. He's also massive. So he, he's a he's a crowd pleaser, a fan favorite. Um, I would just like to see him be more involved because he really was dynamic two years ago. And he's still upset with himself for his incident off the field last offseason. You can tell that just not in his character. Um, he's a guy that's not going to be in trouble again here going forward. Not a lot of numbers at this tight ends fullbacks group that Gary Bernardi's working with now, but with the, the new offense they're running now, you don't really need more than what they have there. And with Irwin and Frazier, you've got uh, two upperclassmen that are, that are pretty darn good. So another spot you feel really good about. A spot you're not necessarily feeling great about, and this is based off their performance last season, is the offensive line. There's going to be 16 scholarship guys for camp. Quite a few upperclassmen that have now played a lot of football. There's not really that inexperienced uh, excuse that they can use anymore. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it'll be <coughs> interesting to see how the production changes this year since they switched around the coaching staffs a little bit. Now you got Clayton Adams working with that group. <clears throat> Looking at the depth chart, it's a little bit interesting to see who they have on the top right now. I think that's probably a little more of a motivational ploy than anything else. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if Aaron Hagler started the year at right tackle. You know, it, it's nice to know that we have some young guys that are impressing the coaches for sure, but uh, it, it would be surprising to me if Shane Callahan wasn't starting this year. I mean, he was one of our better linemen last year, I thought, most consistent at least. Um, so I would expect him to be back. There is definitely a lot of experience out there. Um, you would have to expect the group would be better than last year because um, a lot of the guys have more experience. And Jeremy Irwin coming back from being injured, if as long as he can stay healthy, you would think that that would solidify the line a little bit to me. But it's definitely a area of concern for sure. Yeah, you, you look at the spring depth chart, and it's different than – on our last show, we had a mailbag question to predict the starting offensive line. Um, and I would actually stick with my prediction, but – I had said Lanat at center and Kelly at right guard. I would actually flip that back because towards the end of spring ball, they put Lanat back out at guard, Kelly at center. But, yeah, it's going to be Jeremy Irwin left tackle, Jared Coe left guard. There, as long as those two guys are healthy, there's no debate there. Kelly, I think that's the smart move. He's played center for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. And it's good that Lanat has gotten his feet wet right. in practice at center because he's going to take over that role next year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that was more of just getting him comfortable into that role because they do expect him to take over for Kelly next year. Um, but I think he's also proven that he's good enough to play right now, so they're going to get him back out there at guard and work with that um, until Kelly graduates, and then um, Lanat will move back into center and they'll move some things around again. Yeah, I, I would think Shane Callahan would be your, your odds-on favorite to be the starting right tackle, even though he's not listed uh, high on the depth chart here. Sam Cronsage could potentially battle him for that spot as well. He's played uh, a decent amount of football in a backup role for Colorado based off some of the injuries they've had the last couple of years. He's kind of struggled, though, to to really gain that, that weight that you want to see. He's listed at 280, still looks pretty lean for that size. Yeah, he's definitely not as big as you would like to see. Um... He's got the right frame. I mean, he's a big, tall guy. He's probably 6'6", um, but he just, yeah, he hasn't been able to get up to that 300 range, which you want to see out of your tackles. Isaac Miller, another year away, needs another year in uh, the weight room. You mentioned Aaron Hagler, same deal there. They're just they're just one year away, and I think those guys will end up being pretty good offensive tackles in, in Colorado. Uh, you've got Dylan Middlemiss, who's still developing. 
Uh, Josh Kaiser is a guy that we don't really talk a whole lot about that could be pretty good down the road. You like the long-term situation at offensive line. You kind of have uh, flashbacks to last season and, and them giving up more sacks than any other Pac-12 team. If Jeremy Irwin doesn't get hurt last year, that group is probably substantially better than it ended up being. Oh, for sure. I mean, because you you're moving guys. I, there's just too much. It was like a carousel last year. People going in and out all over the place. There's a lot of injuries besides Irwin, too, um, especially at the end of the year. So, yeah, I mean, you just get a little bit of a continuity with that group. I think you'll see a lot better improvement. Moving over to defense at nose tackle, Josh Tupo expected to be back in the program this summer. You've also got Jace Frankie, Eddie Lopez, and Lyle Tuiloma there. Those, aside from Tupo, those other three guys are all underclassmen. Jace Frankie, I think, is one of the more underrated defensive linemen. I could see him having a good backup role behind Tupo this year. I, I like that they moved him inside because he just didn't have the burst, I thought. Like he, they played him outside for a while, and it just didn't seem getting around anybody. I like that they moved him inside. If he can gain that extra weight, uh, I think he'll be good for him there because he's, he's athletic for a nose tackle. He's not athletic for a defensive tackle. I guess it's how, it's how I would put that. Um, I know Jeff Colt loves him, so that I mean he's, he's definitely going to play a lot of minutes. You could see in practice last year and in fall camp, he, they, he spent a lot of time with Chase Frankie. He sees big things from him. Um, so he'll definitely play. Eddie Lopez is a guy who I think has kind of fallen behind eight ball a little bit, which is surprising because looking at him and watching him practice, he's always been pretty impressive to me. Lyle Tuloma is a guy that has gotten a lot of praise from the coaching staff as a young guy who's got a chance to be really special. He's got a big frame. Super um, rod. Needs another one of those guys that's another year or two away. Yeah, and but they, you know, a guy that they found on Hawaii in the middle of nowhere, basically. So, But it's good to hear that. Who without staff, satellite camps wouldn't be playing Pac-12 football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that's an argument. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. Maybe we'll, we'll work day. that discussion in later. Yeah. Um, Josh Tupo coming back is really big for the program. I would argue it's the most important thing for, for them this year. He's a man. What kind of shape does he show up in, though? That's a big, that's, that's a big question. Yeah, we'll see. I'm just saying, if you get Josh Tupo, the good Josh Tupo back, the defensive line starts to look pretty safe next yeah. year for me. Yeah, if Josh Tupo is in at least good enough shape that, uh, you know, a summer – can work off the rust. That defensive line group has a chance, to your point, to be really good. You move over to the defensive tackle spots, and Jordan Carroll played really well last year in his first year at CU. Leo Jackson, pretty serviceable, kind of a backup type guy there. You put those three together, though. You put Leo, Josh Tupo, and Jordan Carroll together. you got three big bodies that you're comfortable with in the defensive line. So that, that would be a lot of fun for me if that worked out. Tim Coleman moved from outside linebacker to the defensive line during spring ball and looked pretty darn good in that role. Even he admits that he's not at the, at the weight he needs to play that role. Obviously, he needs to put on about 15 pounds. But uh, it's good to see him kind of find find a role because I think he wasn't quite fitting into that that outside linebacker role very well. Definitely. I, mean, I think that I felt bad for him because he's had so many injury issues. Mm-hmm. But when he's healthy in camp, he's, he's good. I mean, he's one of the fastest D linemen on the team. He's really good off the edge. Um, so I think if he can't put on 10 pounds and keep that speed, he'll be definitely be useful for us. I'd like to see him earn his role because he's had a tough go of it so far at Colorado, and it'd be nice to see him have an impact on the field. Michael Matthews is there as well. He's a guy that has struggled to put on the weight necessary to yeah. play with his hand in the ground in this scheme. Brett Tons had a good sp- spring. Again, another guy that probably needs another year. Frank Umu's kind of in that same boat. What about Samson Kafavalo? What What's going to happen here? He's suspended from the team right now. Uh, is this going to be, I, I think as long as the university doesn't step in, 
I would be surprised if they cut him loose. Now, obviously, he's not, if, if they did cut him loose, it would be because of the number of transgressions he's had versus the severity of his most recent transgression. But if it is an alcohol issue, Tyler, get him help. Don't cut him loose. I worry about him long-term the rest of his life if he can't figure out what, what, what the source of this issue that he has. Yeah, I would agree. But if he gets cut because he stood up in a quick manner, like I'm going to freak out. I am going to freak out. Like, come, give me a break, man. Like, the kid is giving plenty of chances to be in trouble. You can't cut him from the university and the team because he stood up at a cop. Like, give me a break. It's just so ridiculous. The fact that he even got arrested to me is, is just absurd. Just put him in a car and take him home and move on with your day. Like, come on, man. It's just so ridiculous. That happens a thousand times a night. Someone is drunk and is like, oh, yeah, mess with me. Like, come on. Yeah, but cause what, what do you do then? If Do you suspend him? If the university doesn't step in and take action, no. what do you do if you're Mike Magnitone? Nothing. I would do game? nothing. No? No, it's just ridiculous. He didn't <laughs> do anything. He didn't do anything. Yeah, he, he was drunk. Fine. You could make him do some laps or something. Give me a break. So It's just so ridiculous. No teddy bears were burnt in his situation. Yeah, exactly. Give me a break, man. <laughs> it's just so... I understand that he's give, caused problems in the past. I do, but come on. Come on, he didn't do anything. But I mean, we're, we're joking and we're having a good time about this. But seriously, they're, they're, if he can't stay out of trouble when he has a few drinks, then there's clearly an issue there. I agree, but this does not count as being in trouble to me. Like there, he it's the way, clear, the way it's clear that, that he drinks too much. Like not necessarily every day, but I mean, like when he drinks, he gets too drunk. Like, but everybody has that friend. Like, are you going to put this kid in jail? No, and that's what, that's, I don't, you don't turn your back on that friend. You oh, get for sure. Help. You oh, get him 100%. Help. Yeah. Like, you have to talk to him and all that, but it's, to, you can't suspend this kid for that. Come on. They've, they've talked to him, though. He even had a sabbatical. I think you've got to maybe get him in some kind of treatment this summer or something. That'd be good. I'm down with that. But <laughs> okay. if he gets kicked out for standing up aggressively. I agree. You don't, you don't turn your back on him right now, I'll given be. the situation. You, you find him help for, for the long term. And uh, if he is out there on the football field, I would go with Samson Coffeywell, Jordan Carroll, and Josh Tupo as my starting D-line. And you said the, the, with Leo in there, that's the big boys. Still some big boys in there with Oh, Coffeywell for sure. As well. I mean, and Leo and Samson moved around quite a bit last year. And, uh, so I think you'll kind of almost have four starters. They'll use those four guys a lot. Um, so I think that's what you would see happen if he comes back. And, you know, ideally that's what you would like to see. At outside linebacker, Jimmy Gilbert is now a senior. Seems like that his eligibility has gone through quickly. Obviously, he didn't redshirt, so it always accelerates the process. Derek McCartney, as your uh, as a junior out there, a guy that's been removed from high school seemingly for about a decade now. Uh, <laughs> those are your two, your top two guys there. And then yeah. NJ Follow is another guy that I think you feel comfortable with him out there playing some snaps. I think you've got a, a pretty solid depth of three guys at, at that position. Yeah, for sure. Um... Jimmy's a guy that I, I have always kind of been a fanboy of, I guess you could say. People like to hate on him, but he's I guess you could say he's kind of a one-trick pony, but it's a good trick to have. I mean, you want to be able to rush the quarterback. He's not going to be a big-time run-stopper for you, but he does seem to find a knack for making big run-stopping plays. He had a lot of fourth-down stops last year. Um, he's a guy that I really like. It is crazy that he's a senior already. Um, and McCartney is probably the best pass rusher on the team. Has led the sacks two, two consecutive years. Um, you'd like to see that number improve to maybe eight or nine, not four and a half. I mean, that, that's that's you see that's a problem in your defense if you're leading the team in sacks with four and a half or five like yeah. he has in the last two years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
McCartney is a baller. I'd like to see him perform a little bit better against Pac-12 competition. He's still young. I mean, he's still only a junior, so he's he's got a ways to go. Um, but I, I think we like he's the guy that you want to see step step up and take that big time role next year. Deshaun Rippey is indeed still on the roster, and I think the the hope would there would be that he finds a spot on special teams. He uh, butted heads with Toby Ninus in the past over getting a role on special teams and. Maybe now that they're kind of doing special teams by committee, he can uh, find his way. I, I think he could be a guy that could help you at least on kickoff coverage or something like that. But, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to see him out there defensively. Probably not. Taron Hasselbeck, still developing. He's he's a sophomore, still an underclassman. Hasn't quite found his niche um, on this defense. And then Sam Banian comes back from his mission. He's going to be working off some rust. There's no question he's going to redshirt. Uh, the question will be, is at some point, does he put on enough weight to, to go down on the defensive line, or does he kind of embrace his outside linebacker role? At inside linebacker, Kenneth Olobode and Addison Gillum will be your starting guys there if they're healthy. Big question, if that's going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, same as every year with those two. It seems like they're always hurt in some way or another, uh, especially Gillum. Uh, we've talked, we've had this conversation a million times about whether or not we trust, and we all know how I stand with that. Uh, until I see him play three or four games in a row, I just don't, I just don't think it's going to happen for him anymore, which is sad, but I think it's just kind of reality. Um, Gamboa was a serviceable replacement last year. His speed is a question mark for sure. He's going to struggle to guard slot receivers when they, you know, offenses have done a good job of matching him up into those situations and it causes problems for our defense. But it'll be interesting to see how Drew Lewis does. I mean, he's a Juco guy that he's kind of the wild card. Yeah. Yeah. He could definitely really improve how we feel about that situation if he's capable of coming in and playing right away. Um, Ryan Severson is a guy who I'm actually very comfortable with as well. I feel like he's been pretty solid in that role um, in the end of the last couple years as you know as a backup. He's not a guy you expect to start, but he's been serviceable when, when needed. Um, he's a good guy in special teams too. So um, Severson is a guy that I'm probably higher on than some other guys. Akil Jones will come in this summer. Uh, you're you're at a point where you hope you don't necessarily need a true freshman to be part of the mix, but I'm intrigued with him. I loved his film as an edge rusher, but he didn't really play an inside linebacker role in high school, so it's kind of hard to project yeah. how he's going to look. Yeah, there. I mean, he's a punisher, so I mean, it, it's I think it'll help him uh, to be on that inside role. Uh, we'll see how ready he is to play right away, but yeah, I mean, linebacker is a position that you'd like to not have to play him if you could avoid it. Moving to the secondary here with uh, Nick Fisher moving to safety, they actually have even numbers between expected cornerbacks and safeties for fall camp. Um, at cornerback, we already talked about. I mean, really, you don't even need to spend a whole lot of time on Cheeto Beowuze. Yeah. He's the maybe best. the most underrated, one of the most underrated players in college football. Best player on the team. I was actually, I meant to look this up, but I forgot. There, uh, Matt Miller, who's an NFL draft scout, was talking about this particular guy who had eight and a half tackles for a loss and five interceptions as a corner. And I know Cheeto's numbers weren't that good, but as a junior, I bet they were pretty similar. He was talking about how ama- how incredible that was. He'd never seen anything like it. And I was like, yeah, I bet Cheeto's numbers are pretty close to that. I think he had like, he had like two or three picks, and I bet he had more than eight and a half tackles for loss. Well, that would be the progression, I think, for him, is that he's done everything so consistently and solid, is to make more of the plays like he did at Oregon State to clinch that victory, more of those game-changing plays. And he's made a, a bunch of them, don't get me wrong, but... Even Mike McIntyre said that if you're talking about a progression he can make, it's having a few more of those plays. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a guy that you expect to probably <coughs> first team or at worst second team all conference next year. He's going to be the leader of the defense, no doubt. If Cheeto Bay spends a majority of his time in that nickelback role like we expect again this season, uh, you're going to see Isaiah Oliver, who we talked about earlier, 
and uh, Akella Witherspoon, many in those cornerback spots. You, you look at this secondary with Tedrick Thompson and Ryan Muller expected to be your starting safeties. The weakest link out of those five guys would be Akella Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not it's from a consistency standpoint. It's from a focus standpoint. He has these lapses where he just kind of seems to not focus on the field, and it happens in practice a lot of the times. But he's got all the tools. It's just not consistently put together out there. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest thing with him is that he just lets every little nick bother him. Like, if he's not 100%, he's 50%. That's how I feel about it a lot of the time. Like, if he's not fully healthy, he's just not out there on the field doing the things that he needs to do. Um, but with him and Oliver, you have a lot of length. I mean, they should be able to deflect a lot of balls, wreak some havoc if they're out there comfortable and playing as hard as they can, you know what I mean? So um, Nick Fisher is a guy who I think they're asking to play a little bit in that nickel role too maybe, depending on how healthy the safeties are. They'll move him around. So I think he is going to be pushing to maybe take some of that time from Akello too, um, and maybe they'll slide Cheeto back into the corner roll a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how that rotation plays out. I, I think the nice thing is that you feel really comfortable at corner and at safety as long as we don't go through more than one or two injuries. Um, there's a lot of talent in the secondary as long as we're not our, you know, playing all second or third string guys. If, if those guys all stay healthy, that's the best secondary Colorado's had since I started covering the program without question. Really, over Jimmy and Jaleel and that and that. Group. The safety group in that group was not as is not as good as this. This I'm talking from you all know, four. All, all well five basically. If you're yeah. going nickel, I mean, so that that I mean, just Jaleel, Jimmy, and Shat Brown too, right? And you forget well, you forget Jaleel Brown had a lot of passes completed against him. Well, it's he did, yeah, he, but <clears throat> I mean, Akello is going to as well, probably. I guess I would say, but uh, I mean, who I don't remember who the safeties were. Ray right? Polk. Never really fully. Was it Ryan? Was Ryan Walters? Is that uh, he would have been out of the program by that group? Um, Okay, so yeah, I mean, if you're talking, if you were talking, it'd be Ray and man, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. But you're right. I mean, they're in they're in the conversation for sure as the best ever. I mean, Jimmy was just such a baller that it's hard to like put people over him. But do you think Jimmy Smith was a better college football player than Cheeto Bayawuze? Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not as – well, no, but because no one threw it, Jimmy. That's – because he was so good that I feel like people just ignored him. Well, that, I, that's – Cheeto Bayouze's <laughs> versatility is what makes me think that he's yeah. a better college football player. I'm not – we'll see about the pro stuff down the road. Yeah, I could – I mean, yeah, I think we both agree that Cheeto's probably not the NFL prospect Jimmy was. But I just feel like Jimmy just shut down half the field and they, no one even tried on him. A lot of the times, they're and that's, I think a, they're that's both a time elite. to develop, though. I mean, I oh, think for Cheeto sure. was pretty much a, a stud from day one. Honestly, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jimmy, junior and senior year was pretty legit. Um, the two year before, and I, I think they're just they're totally different, and they're awesome for totally different reasons. So it's hard to really compare them, but having both was nice. I mean, they're both a lot of fun to watch for sure. We've kind of gone now in this position by position, and honestly, aside from maybe one of those receivers needing to step up. These incoming freshmen aren't going to be looked upon to make a big impact, but cornerback is one of those spots where one or two, one or two of these guys is going to have to play this year as depth pieces. Ronnie Blackman, Trey Udofia, Karan Baham coming in. Uh, and all three of those guys were are pretty highly regarded coming in. Definitely. I think Bam, they would like to redshirt because he's coming off an ACL. Um, that's probably the safest play there if, if, you, if you can afford to do it. Um, Udofia and Blackman are both guys who can help us right away on special teams too, so that gives them a leg up in 
being maybe having a chance to play as a freshman. Of the three, actually, I'd probably say that Udofi is the most likely to play, which I think most people would disagree with. But Blackman is a little bit undersized. I think it might take him a little bit to get used to the physicality of this next level. Udofi is a bigger guy, a little more versatile. Um, so of the three, I think he might have the best chance. But again, we'll see how everybody looks in fall camp right now. It's just speculation on my part. So Safety, obviously, Tedrick Thompson and Ryan Moeller are established guys there. Afalabe Lagude expected to be a, an important depth piece there. Nick Fisher looked really good at safety in the spring game. He actually told me he's more comfortable at safety mm-hmm. than he was at corner. Him moving over there and having success is huge, very yeah. important. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to have that fourth guy who you feel confident in at safety would be a big time for the program because we've had a lot of injury issues with that position over the last few years. Kyle Trago, too, I think. We'll, yeah. see, we'll see how he looks when he gets on campus because um, – Again, having that fifth piece where, you know, if some injuries happen, you can throw a guy in there who you're not completely scared of throwing out there would be fantastic for the program. A year from now when Cheeto Bayouze is no longer in the program, I'd expect either Ronnie Blackman or Nick Fisher to be the, the nickel going forward. All right, uh, moving along, place kicker Diego Gonzalez made not quite from the far left hash, but, but it was on the left side. He made... Uh, a field goal there at the end of the spring game. I, I saw Mike McIntyre give a little fist pump when that went through the uprights. I will say, he was destroying the ball during drills. Last year's spring game and fall camp and all that stuff, he was a lot more inconsistent. So I will say that he looked a lot more consistent in this um, spring game. That's just one day, and again, I wish that we were able to watch all this stuff during all the spring practices because you get a good idea of how comfortable they really are. But he was absolutely destroying the ball. In drills, so so that was nice. Um, even on punts, obviously he's not going to be our punter, so it doesn't matter. But I mean, he, if he gets a hold of a good one, man, that thing is flying out of the stadium. So, at uh, punter Alex Kinney was solid enough during the second half of his true freshman season that we're not really going to spend a whole a lot of time talking about or worrying about that position for the next three years. Yeah, I mean, I would say solid enough is an understatement for a freshman. He was pretty good, I thought, after he got a few of the kinks out early on in the season. Um, he's going to be great for us. There's not a whole lot of concern there. Either Chris Hill or JT Bale will be the long snapper. It sounds like maybe JT Bale, walk on from La Mirada, will win that role. Um, and then that real last here in terms of positions, punt return and kick return, the guys that I think are going to man those roles were not on campus for spring practices, in my opinion. So who are your favorites? I would go Ronnie Blackman as my favorite to be a starting punt returner. He might be. He's going to be in the mix for for kick returns as well. I think Trey Udofi is going to be in that mix. I think Karan Baham is going to be in that mix. Um, I think Anthony Jewel Meese could potentially be a punt returner, a kickoff returner as well. Those are the guys that you watch what they did in, in those roles in high school and were pretty electric in that role. And Colorado, frankly, hasn't had guys that have been next level in those roles here recently. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Donovan Lee is a guy that they're going to look at at kickoff return again. Sure, yeah. Um, especially, especially since we're so comfortable with the running back rotation. Again, they're going to try to find ways to get him the ball. And I think that's an opportunity to do so. I think Jay McIntyre, again, will be in that punt returner role. We'll just see how ready to go. I mean, I agree with you that a lot of the freshmen they're bringing in are have the capability to be dynamic and special. Well, they certainly have to prove that they can catch right. it. That's yeah. going to be the key, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll see if they have the luxury to redshirt these guys or not. But they're definitely going to be in the mix. And like, I said, like we talked about, special teams is going to be the way for them to get on the field. So we'll see how it plays out. I think that's a pretty good wrap on spring practices. We haven't had a whole lot of time um, to talk about recruiting on, on the show, so let's spend a little time doing that now. Jonathan Van Deest and Dante Sparacco, teammates at Cherry Creek, both committed. 
in late February during Colorado's first junior day. Let's just kind of touch on those guys a little bit. Jonathan Van Deest first. We'll, we'll start with him. Uh, somebody that's played defensive end, outside linebacker, inside linebacker in high school, kind of projected as a linebacker for college, mainly because he doesn't have a, a great length. He's uh, on the shorter end. He's about 6'2". Yeah, he's definitely a tweener, um, so it'll be interesting to see how he plays out. He's a baller, though. I mean, he's a guy that... You see what I've written down right here? Yeah, see? There you go. Perfect. That's what I like <laughs> to see. He's a, he's a guy you put on the football field, and he makes plays. doesn't yep. matter how big he is, how small he is, you know, how fast he is. He just, he's just someone that's always around the ball. Um, and he loves football, which, you know, is, is a big thing, too. And he's an ambassador for the program, I guess I'll say. Uh, he's really gone out there and tried to recruit kids from all over the country to come to Colorado. We have not had that except for the last two classes, in my opinion. So it's always nice to have those guys because you want to have dudes who want to go out there and improve the program and make it better, make it something special. And we'll see. I mean, I think I think we're getting pretty close to turning turning the corner. And, uh He's, he's been a big part of that in terms of recruiting, so that's awesome. I mean, that's an important factor. I love these guys with great closing speed. I could watch Cheeto Bay and Tedrick Thompson play football all day long. Just that ability to close within a two-yard two window in, in a quick period of time is something that I love to see. And that's something Jonathan Van Deest has. It's like a, a shark that smells blood in the water. When he gets close to the ball carrier, it's just like a magnet, basically, to the ball carrier. He had four other power conference offers, and any time Colorado can beat Nebraska out for a prospect, that makes the, the fan base pretty happy. Yeah, that's always a good day. Can't be mad about that. He's a high three-star prospect, Jonathan Van Deest is. So is uh, Dante Spiraco. Um, but Dante's different, he, and he's just a big athlete. We don't know if he's going to play tight end or if he's going to be a defensive lineman. He would prefer to play on offense. I would maybe lean towards, as he continues to develop, it's going to be really hard to keep him off that defensive line, especially if you're not utilizing the tight end a whole bunch. I agree, and I think he's probably going to outgrow it too, honestly. I mean, he's a big boy already. Um, and he's a freak athlete. He's kind of almost the opposite of Van Deese. The The upside potential is tremendous with him. Um, if he can get his body right, he could be a big old boy. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Nick Casa in terms of you just don't really know how he's going to develop offensively or defensively. Yeah. Um, a guy who we played on Casa, we played on defense for a lot of his career, and then really blossomed as a tight end um, towards the end. I, I lean to Sparaco ending up probably being too big to play that role, um, so I think he will probably end up being a D lineman. And he really, trust me when I say he is a freak athlete. He's capable of doing a lot of things that people his size are not. Really smart, personable young guy. He uh, had Ivy League offers, so you know he's great in the classroom. Both Jonathan Van Deest and Dante Sparaco have really gone out there and, and tried to recruit for Colorado this class and, and have endeared themselves to the fan base without question. Jalen Jackson, the other verbal commitment, actually the highest rated out of them as a four-star receiver prospect out of Cedar Hill High School in the Dallas area. Speed is the main thing you mentioned with him. He came back from that torn ACL, which forced him to miss his junior year and put up some really impressive track times. And here's a situation where you beat out the Arizona States of the world, the Missouri's, Oklahoma State offered him, Texas Tech. That's that's where you start as this program improving your recruiting is winning battles against those programs. Definitely. And anytime you can bring elite speed onto your football program, there are things you, you can find ways to use that. You, you see time and time again, there are good football teams that just throw a guy out there who has next level speed that you just can't defend. And they make those big plays. And then all of a sudden the game's out of control in a hurry. You kind of look at, Oregon is the first one that pops into my mind. Like, you can slow them down, you can slow them down, you have, the game is close, and the next thing you know, two dudes who just have elite-level speed make yeah. two big plays, and the game is over just like that. So he, he's the kind of guy that can make those type of plays for your program. 
And shout out to whoever created that Sports Center graphic when he committed. That was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. That, that one passed around for a while. We had a few people on the board like, wow, I can't believe this guy on Sports Center. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> I had somebody on the staff after he committed tell me, the days of beating Idaho out for a recruiter are over. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> So we'll see. I mean, you're going to, if you sign a class of 25, you're okay with four or five of those guys being in that kind of that mix. Even elite programs, even a Texas will take a random two-star here and there. Yeah. I shouldn't call them elite, but, I mean, their recruiting has always been elite. Yes. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Texas will be back, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the big question now is, is which quarterback is going to commit to the Buffs from this class of 2017? Tyler Lytle and Chase Court are, are the top two guys there in terms of guys that already have offers and have been showing strong interest in CU. Chase Court, of course, visit Boulder for the spring game. And Tyler Lytle is going to come back to take a second visit to Colorado with his mom um, at the end of this month. Um, and then you've got Chase Garbers, who's also kind of in that mix, has got some power conference offers that took a visit to CU recently. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in the comfortable position that all three of these guys, we would be happy landing any of these three guys off power five conference offers which you always like to see right i mean right now who knows what's going to happen it seems like cord is kind of slow playing himself a little bit which might get him into some trouble Lyle's i think he's starting to kind of the the most recent update he's all of a sudden going okay i'm kind of checking in with colorado about timetables and stuff i think he's yeah. starting to kind of get the hint that hey you can't wait too yeah, long he's still saying you might wait till after the season though so I, you can't do that but you're going to be a the second quarterback in a class is, is how that's going to work out for you, probably. Or you're going to go to a lower-level program. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it sounds like Lytle and Cord are kind of in that 1A, 1B scenario right now. And if they lose out on those guys, Garbers will get that next offer. And we'll see. Hopefully we can get him if that's the case. I mean, it, it feels good to be in a position that no matter who we land, I think the majority of people will be happy. All three, I think, are probably better prospects than we've had from a few of the quarterbacks in the last few classes outside of probably um, Montez. So, um, to me, I feel pretty good about where we are with it. It'll, we just got to get one on the board. I think it's going to come down to Arizona State and Colorado for Tyler Lytle. And then Chase Corder, I think Colorado is actually maybe the front runner at this point. It's really, the aside from Arizona State, which hasn't offered at this point, is uh, you know the main school he's visited so far. I'm going to put you on the spot, Tyler. Give me your... Your top five realistic targets. What's your, your recruiting wish list at this early stage? Um, I have LaVisca Chenault first. To me, he's just he's such a versatile weapon. You watch him on film, he can do so many different things for you. He's not the biggest blazer of all time, but um, he's just so comfortable in a lot of roles. Hours after recording this podcast on Thursday, LaVisca Chenault verbally committed to Colorado. He became the fourth commitment for the Buffs this cycle and the second blue chip receiver recruit from Texas to pick CU in the month of April. I like the coaches, the surroundings, and mainly because it, it felt good. And I want to do something new, see new things, and do new things. Chenault's a big six foot two, two 205 pound target that averaged more than 17 yards per reception during his junior season. Back to the podcast and more on Chenault. Plus, Four-star receiver from DeSoto yeah, High School. Yeah, ranked in the top 200 kids of the class. I mean, he would be our highest-ranked kid. Um, he's got Alabama and LSU offers. Anytime you can get a kid to commit to you that has those type of offers, is big time for the program, you know. We had a similar situation with Fisher at last year that got a lot of pub towards the end of the season. Yeah. Those are the type of commits that, um, you know, get national credibility and people start to recognize your program. So those are the big ones. That's a huge one for me. Plus, he's got red. 
sweet dreads. So that's a, that's always a bonus. He, he just looks like a baller, which I'm always about as well. Two I have is Trajan Cotton. Um, I love Cali kids. I think those are important for our program. We don't get enough of them, in my opinion. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, <clears throat> we felt pretty good about our chances with him after he came out here with everybody else from Texas. Uh, he's since been visited Oregon with Josh Fallow. Sounded like that visit went pretty well for him as well. So it's kind of up in the air about what's going to go on with him. I think UCLA is was the other. Those are going to be the three that he yeah. picks between. Right, yeah. Three, I have Noah Ellis, which is probably the biggest stretch of any of them. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. That's not a stretch. <laughs> you, no, no, no. Not, not in terms of talent, in terms of us landing. Like, oh, I probably okay. Feel the okay. Least, I probably okay. feel the least confident out of my five um, that he'll come Yeah, here. he just moved to Colorado last year. Doesn't have roots. Now, he does. his dad uh, is close with Mike McIntyre. That connection, they've gone back all the way to Mike McIntyre, San Jose State days. I can't remember specifically what the connection is, but they, they're really close. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I think it's I think it's realistic, but it's going to be really tough. I mean, you talk about a kid that has offers from yeah, all the everywhere. who's who in college football. Yeah, definitely. But I, he's just to me, it's it's so important because we don't get this type of commit in Colorado ever. Like they, these big bad D tackles, there are not too many of them in Colorado. I don't feel like so. It would be huge to land that guy. He would be number um, one on my list, more so because. Guys that are 315 pounds and can move like that are really, really hard to find. Yeah, definitely. And he's in your backyard, which, again, never happens in Colorado. So he's a big one for me. I, I have him at three because I don't feel as confident that he's going Okay, here. gotcha. Um, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, another four-star receiver. Um, they seem to be coming from all over the place. Uh, it, it's hard, kind of hard to get a read on how he feels right now, but we are in his top five. Right. Um, Worst case scenario, I mean, it's nice to be in four star receivers, top five, top four, top three, all over the place. So that's pretty awesome. You feel like the cards have to fall that we'll find a way to get one of these guys. Um, we'll see. And then five, I actually have Tyler Lytle, another California kid. He's, the competition he plays is a little bit better, so I feel a little more confident in knowing what you're getting out of Lytle for me. I mean, they haven't been beating out power conference teams for quarterbacks here. No, they haven't. Actually, I kind of found that so Garbers has an Arizona State offer as well. Arizona State is going to be in that QB carousel with us in some manner, I think. A couple of names to throw out there to add to your your wish list there. Shevin Calloway, he's uh, one of the top 10 ranked cornerback prospects nationally. He comes out to Colorado for their second junior day. Doesn't even know he has a CU offer. Doesn't even really know why he's taking the trip, but he comes out with a teammate and... Not only finds out that uh, Colorado's offered, but he finds out, wow, these facilities are pretty amazing. By the time he's leaving home, he's got Colorado high on his list. He's basically got offers from everybody as well. He's not uh, hasn't named a top five yet, but Colorado's actually expected to be on that top five when he announces it. Josh Follow, NJ Follow's younger brother, of course, uh, one of the nation's top tight end recruits. It's hard to get a read on how good a chance Colorado's going to have, but we, we know that they're going to be in the mix because of the family connection with Mike McIntyre, Clayton Adams, and he, he's going to visit Colorado at some point. He did come out when NJ moved in to CU last summer, so he's seen CU. Hadn't seen the finished product with the facilities yet, though. One guy that I don't know if would necessarily be um, uh, at the top of my wish list, but a, a guy that we haven't really spent a whole lot of time talking about that I think is really good, and he's another guy that's in CU's backyard, is Christian Cumber uh, from Mullen High School. I think he is going to be an absolute lockdown corner at the next level. It's uh, kind of fun to talk about uh, CU recruiting and, and have all these blue chip guys that are actually yeah. realistic targets for CU. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's, it's quite a, a change. It's been a while for sure since we've been able to talk about guys with this many power conference offers being in the mix. So it's definitely a fun time. Real quickly, before we move on to some basketball talk here at the end of the show, what, what's your take on the satellite camp 
situation. I, I've been very outspoken. It actually just, usually with most topics, there's a couple sides of the argument. And you go, okay, I can see how somebody could feel that way. With this, it's like, give me a break. There's literally no reason other than wanting to pr protect your own recruiting territory for this ban to take place. I get. I agree with you. Um, I guess the only thing that I could see as being kind of a an agreement between all parties is that there should be a limit on how many you can have. Like well, it is should, pretty much limited to the month of June, anyways. So. Yeah, but I just it, people kind of go like six or seven or whatever it may be around the country. If you just had two or three um, that you were able to have each summer, I think that would probably please everybody because it fills all parties. I mean, you still have an opportunity to get out there. You're not just camping in somebody else's backyard. Like, I understand all the arguments, but to me, it's just ridiculous, especially the Pac-12 situation where 11 of the 12 schools uh, wanted the satellite camps, and Dan Grail just apparently decided gonna... that he, he, was just, he was just too cool for school and just voted however he wanted. And I, just, I thought it was great that the commissioner came out and just called him out for it. Like, that was hilarious to me. So it'll be interesting to see how... They, I'm assuming they're going to change the rules on that because the fact that they just let one person vote for the entire conference clearly isn't working out very well. So it'll well, be I was going to go on a whole rant about Dan Guerrero, and then yeah. Larry Scott comes out with with his. So there, he, Larry Scott's actually taken some heat for coming out publicly and, and stating that Dan Guerrero then comes back. Uh, he he leaks some email that he sent yeah. after his vote. His claim was that the the, the ban was already going to get passed. So I wanted to pick the lesser of evils between the two bills. Are you buying that? Because I think no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not buying I'm not, it. It's very easy to say that in hindsight when everybody's yeah. seen the, the Plus, final tally. His, his vote. So apparently the Sun Belt <coughs> guy voted in his own benefit as well. And if each two, if they had both voted in favor of what the conference wanted, it wouldn't have passed. Correct. Yeah. So I just think that's a bunch of garbage. I do too. Dangarello sucks anyway, so <laughs> he he deserves all the heat he can get. Well, we actually have to hit, head out to the golf course here pretty pretty quickly. So let's go uh, dive into this men's basketball talk real quick. Lucas Seward, Brazilian, played his high school basketball out in Los Angeles, picks the buffs. Kid hadn't been talking uh, to any media, but uh, we kind of reading the tea leaves with uh, a couple recruiting experts picking CU to be the spot that he picked. We uh, kind of charted his situation, and uh, he does indeed pick uh, Colorado. What's your reaction to the, the Seward pickup? Big time. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that fits a skill set that we don't have on the team right now. Um, the biggest thing is that he improves our size, which is important. I don't know how many minutes he'll get as a freshman. Uh, he's not a powerful guy, not not a physical guy, really. He's a pick, pick and pop, so he's comfortable on the perimeter more than he is in the post right now. But just somebody that you can put in against big guys is important. And I think off on the offensive end, he's going to cause a lot of mismatches for anybody who plays a true five. Um, in this conference, they're going to have a lot of trouble guarding him on the perimeter. He's got a really good handle for somebody who's his size, for sure. 6'10", 230 pounds. That's a big body for a high school kid. He's already got a little bit of a frame working towards him. So you get him in a college program, he's going to end up looking a lot like Josh Scott, in my opinion, by the time he gets out here, which is awesome. Um, he's not an athlete. He's not going to dunk on you. Um, anybody who follows basketball and follows international basketball knows the type of player that Brazilians tend to be. He definitely fits that mold as well. He's very crafty, very skilled for a big man. Um, not not going to be a big time banger for you in the post though. Um, he he's a guy who you know very European, very South American style basketball player, but that's a, a skill that is very useful in college. So to me, he's going to definitely be a big time player for us. Uh, he's not a guy who's probably going to leave early for the NBA or anything like that. So you can expect to be in the program for four years, and by the time he's an upperclassman, he'll be a starter and an impact guy for us, for sure. 
there's not a ton of film out there on Lucas. Yeah. What would you say to a comparison? How close would you kind of say he would be to an Austin Dufault type player? Yeah, he's definitely got a similar game to Austin Dufault. I, I think what puts him above Austin in, is that he's bigger and wider already. I don't think Austin Dufault ever weighed 230 pounds. Um, so to me, he's got that similar body where he's you know he's not gonna he's not gonna dunk on you. He's not gonna get you know he's not going to the hole. Um, Dufault. People have a favorable impression of him now, but he struggled his first couple of years on campus for sure. I mean, but he grew into a pretty solid player by the time he was done, uh, figured out his role, and was really good for CU as a senior. Um, I think you can expect Seward to maybe get to that level a, a step or two quicker than Austin Dufault. Um, and again, he's a bigger body, and I think he's a better ball handler than Austin was right away. So to me, he, he's probably going to end up being a better player than Austin, which is great for the program. I mean, because by the time Austin was gone, he was a starter, a big-time piece for that team. So, And obviously the other big question with uh, men's basketball right now is you know, what fills up that other scholarship they have available? It looks like it's definitely going to be a transfer. The top priority there would be Arkansas transfer Jimmy Witt, who is – we're recording this on Thursday morning. I think Jimmy Witt's still on campus at CU right now on his visit after checking out NC State. He's going to have three years of eligibility left, uh, top 50 recruit coming out of high school. Uh, the things you hear about him are that uh, he needs to – physically develop and improve his jump shot, which a redshirt year will obviously aid him in those areas. Elite level penetrator, in, in, and he could be a good second ball handler out in the court as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, he's a guy who fits what we need. Um, defensively, I'd like to see him improve as well. He wasn't as good as people were expecting as a freshman, for sure. He, he had a, um, People were expecting big things out of him, and he struggled. But I think he fits what Tad Boyle wants to do really well. Um, He's a big-time player. Uh, he, he would help us a lot, for sure. I mean, he's a guy who's going to sit out this year, um, but would have an opportunity to replace guys like Josh Fortune and Derek White because well, next year we're stacked at the guard position, but we're losing a couple of those pieces, so we need, need to have somebody to replace them. I think Jimmy Witt has – his upside potential is by far the best of any of the tra available transfers, for sure. If Witt doesn't uh, come to Boulder, some other names that have been in contact with Colorado, Louisiana Tech transfer Dayon Griffin. He's a 6'5 guard, known to be a pretty good three-point shooter, has two years of eligibility left. Drake transfer Dominic Olenechuk. I might have just totally butchered that. He's a seven-foot center from Poland. Uh, averaged more than 10 points per game in his final nine games as a freshman, and he shot 72% from the field in 30 games uh, last season, would have three years left. Another name, Tennessee transfer Ray Kazango, a six foot eight forward that's originally from Canada. But he hasn't stayed anywhere more than a year for like the last five years now. He's bounced around a lot. Uh, he did play in 22 games as a sophomore for the Volunteers, uh, played six minutes per game. Uh, out of those guys, which kind of intrigues you the most? Uh, well, I, I would say the center, honestly, uh, because to me, that's a pretty productive freshman season. There just aren't those type of big guys available every single year. So if you can get those, you put them on your team. 72% is really impressive. And obviously he's not shooting that many shots away from the basket, but it means he can finish around the rim. He's a big, wide body. Moves pretty well, too, for his size. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy who's going to be, I mean, if he's averaging 6 and 5 as a freshman, he's going to be a 15 and 10 type of guy by the time he's done with college, which there aren't many of those running around in college. So that, that's a big piece for me. Dayon Griffin. Um, I like because he, he's uh, would probably be the best defender on the team right away. Somebody that improves your perimeter defense, which is important on a team that's undersized. That was a problem for us last year, but Josh and uh, Wesley Gordon were able to kind of erase a lot of those mistakes. So it'd be nice to have a perimeter stopper. Um, but to me, he's he's kind of a similar guy to what we already have in the program. 
Um, so I, I, I don't, I'm not as high on him, I guess you could say. Um, and then Ray Sango, I'd be surprised if we actually take a real run at him. He doesn't seem like the type of player that fits our program. You, you, what you said about him moving around all the time is true, and I just don't see Tad taking a chance on that type of kid. Wofford was added to the 2016-17 schedule as a home game. Uh, we did the whole rundown on the schedule on our last basketball show. I think that only leaves two home games left yep, to yep. fill. Two more to fill. And so. obviously these are not going to be – you've already kind of – Got your marquee matchups. You're not looking for any more of those. So, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Wofford? Uh, usually can, they're can pretty you break solid. Break down their, their, their starting lineup. <laughs> I don't know. No, I can't break down their starting lineup. Uh, they do have a kid from Colorado, though. Although I'm spacing on what his name is right now. Um, they they're usually pretty solid in their league. They're you know down in East Coast. I think they're in South Carolina, North Carolina, one of those two. Um, it's all news was, to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah they they usually finish in the top half of their league. They've made the tournament a couple times in the last five years. So pretty solid program overall. Not a team you expect to lose to, but they're not going to hurt your RPI standing or strength of schedule, that kind of stuff either. So the, the type of program that you want to bring into Boulder for sure. Well, I declare today is Fan Correspondent Appreciation Day. Tyler, we're going to hit the golf course yes. uh, this afternoon. Looks like it's going to be a beautiful afternoon here in Colorado. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Thanks for all you do for buffstampede.com. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's, it, it. This is the first time I'll be swinging this year on the course, so it could, we'll see how many windows I break. Are you one of those guys that it's kind of like a riding the bike thing where a couple swings in, you're ready to go, or do you have to kind of ease no. in with a few rounds before you're even, good to go? Even when I play 30 times in the summer, I can't just step right on the course. I have to hit balls before, <laughs> before I play every single time. That's just... I, I just don't think I warm up that well. I'm a little stiff these days. I don't work, you know, I'm not doing enough workouts. So, yeah, I got to warm myself up. Yesterday, I went and hit balls for the first time yesterday, and it actually went better than expected. So that's good. But okay. Usually that means today I'm probably just going to be spraying stuff all over the place. Oh, well, I feel like it's like this uh, before, like, rec basketball games or back to high school where – you in warm-ups if I'm making my shot it never seems to translate yeah. to the game and vice versa I could miss all my shots in, in warm-ups and be great in the game I feel like that with golf like I could be hitting the ball great on the range but it's you know it, it's a fresh start as soon as we get to that, that first tee and it could be an adventure out there yeah the thing about the driving range is even if you hit it to the right or the left a little bit it can look really good but you know when you're standing next to trees yeah. you can get yeah. ugly in a hurry you know the driving range is like yeah that was close enough to where I was trying to hit it it's fine and then you have a narrow fairway it starts <laughs> to look a lot more difficult so what's the goal today for a score? Are we? Are oh, we, if I keep it under ninety, like legit, if I'm playing legitimate golf, if okay. I keep it under ninety, it'll be good. We we go in uh, any mulligans today? What's the, sure. what's the whatever? Okay. I don't care. <laughs> do whatever you want. I I usually do on the scale of cheating in golf. I think I'm on on the better end of things. I would say I probably take one mulligan per per nine holes. Yeah, that's. I mean, ideally, that's what you want to do. But we'll see. I mean, I'm gonna hit a couple balls if I'm out there spraying. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler, for joining me on this. And uh, thanks for all of you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dog, no small And mama cooked the breakfast with no harm I got my grub bone, but didn't dig out Finally got a call from a girl I wanna dig out so Hooked it up for later as I hit the dough Thinking will I 